This is the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. They say it's what's on the inside that counts the most, but sometimes the outside is pretty important too. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you leave the house underdressed, or worse yet, not dressed at all? And even though it's just a dream, it can be such a panic because you know something is just not right. I've had dreams of showing up to work in my pajamas. How embarrassing. Or as a pastor, I was going to perform a couple's wedding ceremony in one dream, but I forgot my suit, and instead I'm dressed in the clothes that I was doing yard work in, straight from weed eating and lawn mowing to perform a beautiful wedding. Man, that will ruin the wedding photos for sure. And there are definitely times where what you put on can make all the difference. Last time on the podcast, we look at what I called the manual. Paul first establishing how privileged we are in Jesus, that we are the elect of God, with God's unfailing commitment to us and for us, even when we don't get it right all the time. He also said that we are called holy, set apart from this world to do do life differently, but also covered in Jesus's blood to be seen as holy, even when we don't live perfectly all the time, and that we are beloved, loved with God with an everlasting love, one that gives us his favor and allows us to love others with the same unconditional love we have been given. And because of those privileges, Paul challenged us to put on godly responses to those around us, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with others, and forgiving as Jesus forgave. Well, on this podcast, we will look at what Paul tells us to consider above all. That one thing that you got to make sure that you put on. It's the overcoat of all garments, the outer layer that hides any fashion faux pas or spiritual faux pas that might mark your life for lack of preparedness or foibles in any situation. Above all, he tells us this is the most important thing. Little Orphan Annie said, you are never fully dressed without a smile. Well, Paul says you are not dressed at all without love and a few other things. So let's get started as we take a look at Colossians 3 verses 14 and 15. As Paul laid out some good and important things to do as a Christian of privilege in the verses that we looked at previously, he wraps it up and ties it with a bow in Colossians 3.14. He culminates the list by saying, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all these things. This is the cliff notes of all that he has been saying. He cuts to the chase right here. Above all these things, put on love. You may not naturally have the most luxurious robe of humility, or your meekness may have holes in it that others see, or your kindness may be a little raggedy, or your long-suffering has seen better days, all those things that we referred to in our last section. But if you are going to grab one thing that can go with anything, one thing that can dress up everything in your wardrobe of life, above all those things, put on love. Peter wrote about it in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We do not always radiate Jesus in our actions or attitudes or interactions. We are fallen people, wrestling with an old nature and the new nature we have put on. But love, well, it will cover a multitude of sins. It's the Febreze that takes the stink out of many of our other shortcomings. It's the fresh coat of paint 
that spruces up the shabbiness of all that is chipping in our lives. That's why both Paul and Peter said, above all things, make sure to love. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, which had a lot of flaws. And with all they were doing wrong and all that they were trying to do right, Paul told them that love was the most important thing, telling them that they could use the most magnificent of spiritual gifts to do great things for the kingdom, faith to move mountains even, but have not love, well, you have nothing, but have not love and it profits nothing, nothing. It's the zero of spiritual mathematics. Anything times zero is zero in math. One times zero is zero. A billion gazillion quadrillion times zero is zero. Without love, anything we do is reduced to zero, to nothing. When Paul writes here about love in Colossians 3, verse 14, he says, above all these things, the preposition for above that he uses is epi, upon, over, above. It's very interesting, in fact, because we see the same preposition used in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is parting words to his disciples as he departs from them from this earth. His final instructions on how to successfully take the gospel to this world, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's that preposition there, upon, epi. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When Paul says, above all, put on love, He uses the same preposition as when Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And with that, they will receive power to live for Jesus, to be his witnesses. Jesus had told the same disciples earlier in John, By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Put this all together. To love the way that God calls us to, We cannot do it in our own power. It goes beyond our natural affections because, well, man's love is based upon the performance of others. We will love when the other is doing right or whatever pleases us. But this love that we are to put on above all else, well, it goes beyond natural inclinations or emotions. It's a stick it out, unconditional love. And we are powerless to do that naturally but powerful when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to love in this way. And notice just how powerful it is. Paul writing, But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. When you insert love into any situation, when the power of God's love is brought into any circumstance, it brings a bond, a strength. It holds things together. The word bond there comes from a Greek word that speaks of binding things together, like ligaments in a body that hold everything in place and keep essential things connected. You see, in the physical body, ligaments often connect two bones together, especially at the joints. They kind of act like strong straps or ropes, something you might tie your truck uh, bed down with, firmly attaching things and holding them together, the bones that are there in your body. And the ligaments keep the joint stable and make sure that bones stay lined up and together. That way, the bones in the joint don't twist too much or move too far apart. If you've ever had a joint dislocated, the ligaments weren't doing their job. Well, you see, love, well, it does the same. The powerful, spirit-empowered love of God, it keeps us connected in the stress and strain of life. This love, it helps us to hold on together and stick together, to remain committed when things are tough. 
Well, this love, it keeps us stable, loving when everything else is all over the place. And this love, it allows us to keep working through the toughest of circumstances, just like those ligaments do in our body, those bonds. Human affection cannot and will not do all those things, but the agape love of God flowing through us, well, it can hold tight. Putting on love, it's a bond. It straps us in to endure all things. As Paul wrote, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. And notice, Paul called it the bond of perfection. That word there, perfection, it can also mean completeness. It's a complete, perfect bond, one that has no gaps or weak places. I remember being a kid in Hawaii, and travel by plane was part of life. Seeing it was the only way to get off the island. You had to take a plane every now and then. It seems like we took flights all the time to go to the other islands for school events or to fly to what we affectionately called the mainland or the continental U.S. to see family or go on vacation. And at the time when I was really young, I always kind of had a fear of flying, though I'm way over that now. So it was unnerving to hear on the news one day as a kid that one of the planes had lost its roof. You might actually remember this. A plane mid-flight between the islands in Hawaii had a portion of its fuselage rip off from floor to ceiling, windows, overhead bins, and all, leaving just the cargo area intact beneath the passenger's feet. Turning the first few rows of the plane into a convertible, more or less. Well, with the quick thinking of the pilots and the crew, everyone but one made it. The lone fatality of stewardess who apparently was ejected during the quick depressurization that happened when that section of the roof came off. It was unnerving, needless to say, for anyone used to flying in Rhode Island. Well, of course, the investigation began quickly as to what had happened with this plane. Why did it lose the roof? What structural malfunction took place that led to the loss of the roof and of a life? They concluded in their investigation that it was cracks, cracks around the rivet holes. Those little rivets, the screws more or less that hold the metal shell to the frame of the plane. Well, with repeated cabin pressurization and depressurization, which occurred many times a day in the islands where flights were only 20 or 30 minutes, the roof became weak and vulnerable, and it was pressurized just one too many times that day. A small crack, and with the pressure, ripped the roof off. We can face the same challenge in life, can't we? Loving others with strong affection, strong emotions, strong commitment. But when the constant pressures of life stretch us again and again and again and put strain on that love, sometimes people can't hold on any longer and they let go. The love that is available, though, to us as followers of Jesus is his love. It is a bond of perfection. No cracks or hairline fractures of weakness, no structural instability but a love that is a bond of perfection. And it is there for us when we ask, a love outside of ourselves that only He can give and that is available for us to tap into. Paul knew that his heart was transformed by this love. He was a Pharisee, an opponent of the church, believing them to be going astray and that the Christ, that Jesus was not the Messiah. So he was persecuting the church, going door to door to arrest them. And then he met Jesus right there on the road to Damascus. And the love of God came upon him. 
to love Jesus. He began to love him, to love God's word and to love God's people, giving him the hugest heart of a caring shepherd who devoted his life to protecting the sheep at any and every cost, laying his life down for them in love. You see, Paul knew that God could change hearts. You know many people, I'm sure, that God has given his love to, where they were able to love in unlovable situations, where they could love beyond themselves, where they found love where there had been no love before. I know that that was part of my calling in missions. I went on a missions trip thinking it would be fun and interesting, and I left a nation with an unexplainable love for that land and for those people, something that was not there before, but became firmly planted and rooted. And it was more than just a fondness. It was a deep abiding love for a people and language and culture that was not my own. But it was part of the heart of the Father that he shared with me, part of his God-so-loved-the-world heart. Go ahead, ask God to give you love, to give you that bond of perfection for the relationship that is so strained right now, or for the person who has hurt you or harmed you, or give God a wild card and ask him to share his love with you where there is a need right now, some area of your community or city or circles that needs the love of God. You might just be the vessel. Our world needs God's love for sure. Jesus said that as the time got closer for his return, Matthew 24, 12, and because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. May that not be us. May the cry of our heart in these lawless times be an increase of love, a love that is hotter for this world instead of one that is growing cold as the world gets farther from Christ or hardened or cynical or calloused against them. May our love abound. Paul knew this love, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Christ's love compelled Paul. It was the fuel to lay down his life for Jesus, and in turn to love others stronger than he was able to do on his own. Having established our need for love above all else, Paul reminds the Colossians and us of what we can expect next. Because when we are rooted and grounded in love, something comes with it that we are truly craving. Listen to this. Paul writes in Colossians 3.15 as we move forward a little bit. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it. Give it permission to do so, because it is coming for sure. When God's love enters the picture, there is so much peace that comes when you are loved. Think of the crying child that is comforted with the love of a parent, cradling them as an infant, peace turning the child's tears into restful sleep, knowing that they are loved. The peace floods into the situation. So, since Paul has already told them that above all, love needs to be put on, that the next natural byproduct will be the peace of God. You can't really hold it back. Just let it rule. Putting on love is the opening of the faucet, and then you just let the peace of God come and rule in your hearts. The word rule, it means to arbitrate or to umpire. I think of the umpire at an American baseball game, the judge there who's calling all the shots. He calls the shots. All the plays of the game have to go through his eyes. And that is what Paul wants for them and for us, that the peace of God 
would umpire in our hearts. Call all the shots. Be in charge of the entire game. Watch all of the circumstances through the eyes of peace. I remember in preschool learning the story of Henny Penny, the chicken who had the acorn fall on her head, and she cried out, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And as she went and told others, she got the whole farm riled up, only to discover the sky was not falling, and all the uproar was for nothing. It was a mere acorn falling on her head. I took an Ancestry.com test, and I have no DNA matches with Henny Penny, but I definitely inherited her worrisome tendencies, as I think many of us have. When I let the peace of God rule, when I let it umpire over my life, to call the shots and view the game through its viewpoint, the sky, well, it's never falling, and peace never gets off the throne of the situation. The psalmist knew such peace in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. Even though the sky is falling, the psalmist writes, let peace rule in your hearts. We had Thanksgiving a few weeks early with my wife's extended family. It's kind of a tradition to do it for us before the actual day. With people having multiple sides of the family to think about, it just allows for more of the cousins to come and stay without having to juggle multiple homes to stop at in one day. And though we are blessed to be able to host the event, it can be a bit stressful. It seems like there is always a lot of spiritual warfare leading up to it, a lot of conflict and a lot of turmoil. I guess we are extending hospitality and hoping the love of God is shown through our home to the whole family. So we always feel a little bit under attack, a little bit of unrest. Now, I would love to say that we have total peace leading up to it. But the henny penny in both of us seems to kick in before the annual holiday gathering at our home. The peace of God is definitely not ruling at all moments. Like even last week, I came home from work and the yard spraying company had come to spray my yard unannounced. And if you're not familiar with this, it's not only chemicals on the lawn, but it's a forest green stain mixed in with the lawn spray. And this forest green stain, it fades over a few weeks as it's watered and the spray seeps into the ground to target the roots. When I first moved to Oklahoma, I'm kind of embarrassed. I had no idea about the green spray, and I thought Oklahomans were just obsessed with keeping their lawns green through the winter. And I thought people were painting their grass rather than let it be brown all winter. I eventually asked Erin, and she set me straight before I embarrassed myself, this island boy unfamiliar with grass turning a darker color in the winter. I thought they were just painting it. Oklahomans, though, were not painting their lawns. It was weed spray tinted with the dark green dye. Well, last week, as we were prepping for Thanksgiving, sure enough, I came home from work and the whole yard was sprayed and dyed green. Four days before my wife's entire family is supposed to gather. On a day that we normally spend outside, sitting in the yard, eating in the yard, the kids playing in the yard, I was not at peace. Well, after henny-pennying it for a bit, I finally called the company, and he said I could just water it over the next few days and it would seep in and be fine, and that the chemicals are not harmful once they dry initially anyway, though the green dye has a tendency to get on everything. I could just imagine Aaron's cousin's kids covered in the green stuff as they reach in for another dinner roll or piece of pie. 
So I spent the last week watering my lawn in the middle of November, getting out and setting the hose and the sprinkler, setting the timer on my phone, moving it every 10 to 20 minutes or so, all to get the dye to go away so we can host the perfect Thanksgiving. Well, most of it went away, but I did say an extra prayer under my breath at grace that that dye would not do anything harmful to any of us. And then, of course, Thanksgiving, there's the plants. Every year, I pray and intercede that we won't get our first freeze until after Aaron's family Thanksgiving. I know it's a lot to ask the Lord to hold back winter tips until after we have our turkey and pie, but we want the plants to look good, right? And we have three beautiful hydrangea bushes full of pink and blue and lavender blossoms, and they have made it all fall, doing their job of staying beautiful for our Thanksgiving. So my heart sank when I was watching the weather on the news last week, and the first freeze of the season, one day before our family Thanksgiving. I was livid at the weatherman for sure. Could he not hold off just two more days till my wife's family celebrated? So after work on Friday afternoon, as I'm watering my grass in November to fade the dye, I'm building a temporary greenhouse out of cardboard, wood, clothespins, brick, and an old ladder. Seriously, it looks like a homeless shantytown on the side of our yard when I'm done with it. And I tell Aaron every year that next year, if it freezes, I am not rescuing the hydrangeas. Our family can come and eat with wilted hydrangeas. The food and fellowship will still be just as good, right? But I can't let it go. The homeowner and me, I end up doing it so our house looks good. But not going to lie, my heart is not always right in doing it. Anyway, sorry, it's been a week last week, I tell you. And it goes beyond watering my yard and protecting my plants. But my point is, let the peace of God rule let it umpire. We too often get caught up in life in things that are just not eternal. And when we do that, we give up peace's place on the throne and let something else come in and take charge. Much like Martha did in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus came to her home. It says, a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Peace was not ruling in that kitchen where Martha was. Peace was not ruling in that heart that belonged to Martha. She was full of henny penny. Imagine the pressure. Jesus is there and everything has to be just perfect, right? In contrast, Mary is enjoying the visit. Total peace. Sitting there at the feet of the Prince of Peace, even though everything in the house may not be exactly perfect. We would often do well when peace is not ruling to sit at the feet of the Prince of Peace like Mary is doing. It would not be taken from her. A peace that surpassed her understanding, one that would guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus. And this peace is not meant to just rule an umpire over our hearts, Paul writes, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. This ruling peace, to that we were also called in one body to that, to that kind of peace. This peace should rule between us, between one another, rather than conflict or divide or contentions rising between us. To peace, you were also called in one body. 
Later in this chapter, Paul will talk about our closest interpersonal relationships, like marriage, family, even work, and we'll get to those on a later podcast. Those relationships in which peace is often attacked, and tension or conflict or chaos can manifest itself easily. But Paul is already setting us up to dive into those closest relationships to us in just a few verses, to that peace that you were also called in one body. When peace isn't ruling between us and our closest relationships, when peace isn't ruling in the body of Christ, we quickly lose focus and no longer sit together at Jesus' feet. That's why Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verse 18 in the NIV, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It won't always be possible, but if it is possible, at least on your side, live at peace with everyone. Let peace rule an umpire. Peter quoted from Psalm 34 when he wrote in 1 Peter 3, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We can all do with a ceasefire now and then, can't we? To together stage a coup to whatever drama or tension or conflict is brewing and let peace once again rule in those relationships. And you know, when we put on that perfect bond of love above all else, and when peace is allowed to umpire over our hearts and our relationships, it gives us a chance to let down our guard, to reflect on all that we have, and as Paul writes at the end of verse 15, to be thankful. Listen to the verse again, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. For us in America, Thanksgiving is coming up, and I love that it does not say here to feel thankful, because we can all find things that are not perfect in our lives and worry and complain about what is not right. But Paul says when we are aware of the love of God in our lives, his unconditional love, even when we are not deserving it, and when the peace of God is ruling in our hearts, that the dust settles long enough in the chaos of life, and we can be thankful. To be is to be in a state of thankfulness. It's an action to be thankful, full of thanks. It's why we are called to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When we come to Jesus to start by giving thanks, start each day in thanks, start each prayer in thanks. The psalmist in uh, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Notice that it says thankful twice. Enter with thanksgiving and be thankful to him. We are a people who tend to ask for a lot, but to lose sight of gratefulness or to feel entitled and forget to be thankful for all the good things that God has done for us. There's a story in Luke 17. Then as Jesus entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Jesus thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? These lepers, outcasts in society, banned from the community, no hope of a cure in those days. 
they are standing afar off. Go, show yourself to the priests, because priests could only testify that God had indeed done a miracle and cleansed them, then cleared them to return to fellowship with their family and their community. Sure enough, ten are healed, but only one comes down and gives thanks on its face at Jesus' feet, and ah, he was a Samaritan. One the Jews would consider lower than the low. This guy was not only an outcast as a leper, but an outcast as a Samaritan, and yet his heart was golden. Appreciative enough for what he had been given, he returned to give thanks. He humbled himself to give thanks. He worshipped in giving thanks. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that in the last days that perilous times would come. And listen to how he describes those last days, 2 Timothy 3.2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Paul noted that unthankfulness would be a characteristic of the last days. Unthankful people, those not appreciative of what they have, and instead complaining about what they don't have and coveting what others have. We can be thankful, even when we don't feel thankful. And it's just amazing how it works. If you just start telling God what you are thankful for, the Spirit begins to illuminate things you did not consider. Lord, I know that I am stuck in traffic and going to miss my meeting, but I thank you that my car is not overheating. I thank you that the car that stalled and is causing this mess is not mine. And I thank you that I have a cell phone to communicate that I am running late or missing this meeting. Lord, I thank you that though I am sick, that my company gives me sick days and that I am not homeless living on the street with this illness and that the pharmacy can fulfill my, prescri uh, uh, my prescription tomorrow, which is better than never. I tell you, being thankful and giving thanks are two powerful things that we can do. Finding ways to express thanksgiving by faith for the things that we take for granted and for the things that we know because we have the perspective of heaven. I don't know about you, but reading about putting on love and letting peace rule and being thankful, well, I feel kind of like a wretch. I can start to hear the tune of Amazing Grace playing in the background of my life, and I'm supposed to sing the line that says, that saved a wretch like me. And you might feel pretty wretched as well. Surely, we all fall short of putting on love, that unconditional love that resembles God's love, that is not self-seeking. We are robbed of peace. Instead, letting anxiety, tension, conflict, and a bunch of other junk take charge and throw peace to the wayside. And we might have splashes of thanks from time to time, but being thankful is not what others would use to characterize us very often. This glorious trifecta, love, peace, and thanksgiving, if we are honest, are things greatly lacking in our diets or in our wardrobes. We are anemic in those areas or we don't have these in our closets, at least a lot of the time to put on. And we feel like wretches in need of grace, needing to try better in the next season, right? Well, not exactly. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 35? But love your enemies. Those enemies, that's people who don't have peace. Did you notice that love? And then enemies, people we don't have peace with. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. 
in that verse, the Lord is talking about us. God is kind. God loves the enemies, those that he has no peace with. And God, he loves the unthankful. So know this, we saw all those three things in that verse that he says, love and the peace with those people that we shouldn't have peace with and the unthankful. Know this, even if you need some grace in these areas of life right about now, God is kind to you. God is loving to you even if you lack these things. He has not shunned us or turned his back on us or pushed us out of his periphery. Remember, these verses today in Colossians started with putting on love, to be dressed in it, to put it on above all else, putting on love. We don't have it, but it is something he gives us by his spirit to begin this process. Some of us need to step into the gushing flow of his love once again, to just experience the love of God, to know the love of God. Maybe it's through brokenness over sin and to realize his love of the, on the cross or his gentle hand of correction or provision or his word speaking as an expression of love or a prayer being answered to remind you that he loves you or love that he puts in your heart for something that has been hardened. Experiencing the love of God, not necessarily by feeling, but by faith and by receiving all that Jesus already has for us. That love, once it's put on, will unleash the peace and the thanksgiving that we desperately need in our lives and in this world, won't it? So Lord, we praise you for your selfless act on the cross. When you demonstrated your love for us, God, forgive us for our unloving attitudes and perspectives, those that are so focused on self that we miss the love that you have for us and for others. Forgive us for choosing everything but peace in the midst of our trials. And we believe that you are the Prince of Peace, the one who can calm storms by simply saying, peace, be still. Do that in our storms right now, Lord. And Lord, open our eyes to see our blessings, to what we can have hearts that are full of thanks, Lord, rather than anemic cornucopias of thanksgiving. Lord, let us abound in thanksgiving. We ask for a work of your spirit, that you might bring life in these areas of our lives. And that no matter what the world is doing, that we would let you reign and rule and fill these areas of our lives, that we might bring you glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.